This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to another episode of Tere Tells All. Happy Tuesday! I'm so excited you're here. I think that we need to go ahead and make this a hashtag. I noticed that a lot of you started using this. Um, when you post about the podcast, you'll start saying like, Tuesdays with Tere, um, or something like that. So I think we need to just go, let's just go ahead and make it a hashtag. Let's make it official, okay? So hashtag Tuesdays, plural, Tuesdays with Tere. Um, and of course, you can tag the podcast. And if you do, if you tag the podcast, I will reshare your story um, on the podcast Instagram account. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I am going to keep the intro short today because I have such a powerful conversation with today's guest. But before I jump into that, two things. Uh, one review shout out. It uh, goes to Carmen Grimaldo, and she says, As a Latina, I am so happy to have found Teresa and now listen to Tere Tells All. Her topics are so relatable, and she just motivates you to do your best. Thank you, Carmen, so much for your sweet a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, thank you for taking the time to do that. I, it, it just, oh, you guys, it helps so much. Like, I'm not out here trying to be, you know, like top 10 podcast in the world or anything, but I do want to grow this platform, and I do want to... Make sure that not just my voice, but the voices of all the people that come on the show get exposure so that other people hear, so that we help each other grow, so we learn from each other's experiences. And that's only possible when you guys share about it. So thank you for doing that. Thank you, Carmen, for leaving the review, as well as everybody else who has uh, taken the time to leave a review or to leave a rating. Um, okay, and then the second thing that I want to mention is that if you are listening to this episode uh, the week that it releases, then you know that there is a Buff Bunny Collection launch happening this Saturday, July 17th at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, this is the Balloon Collection, lovely neutrals and pastels. That, that rainwater blue is just mwah, chef's kiss. Y'all know blue is my favorite color, so uh, yeah, I got a couple of pieces in that color, but you know I'm about to go snag the rest because it is such a pretty color. But um, yeah, if you buy anything this weekend or even any time that you guys make a Buff Bunny Collection purchase, um, please use my code Teresa at checkout as it supports me directly and it helps me grow my relationship with the brand. But aside from that, like I said, I'm excited for you guys to listen to today's guest. We had such a beautiful powerful conversation and it's been one of my favorites that I've had on the episode I'm sorry on the podcast but uh, yeah without further ado let's get into it all right guys today's guest is a model entrepreneur philanthropist and most recently competed for Miss Houston and now in the running for Miss Texas Nishala Naini did I say that right (laughs) Yes, you did, Nichelle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, every time I see your last name, I'm like, I'm going to butcher. Is it Nani? Is it Niney? Oh my God, what is it? <laughs> it's okay. It's like nine and an E, like nine. Nine. Gotcha. But welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm super excited. I'm so excited too. Um, so for our listeners today, can you kind of just give us a, a more in-depth background Besides what I just said, but like, who are you? What do you do? What's your passion? All that good stuff. Okay. So a little bit more about me is I actually just graduated in December with degrees in finance and management. And in school, I actually studied a focus track with global energy management in which I got my energy research published. And I was on the track to go to law school. Like I took my LSAT in February. And then I realized like, as I was working at law firms and doing my energy research that I needed to slow down a little bit. There was a lot of self-work and groundwork that I needed to do and complete for my for myself so I could find that closure to move forward. 
And right after my LSAT, two days later, I got an email saying that I should compete for Miss Houston. And Miss Houston at the time was in two months. And I decided that it was something that I'd never done before. And I always want to find things that help me step out of my comfort zone. So I decided, I mean, what the heck, I'm going to do it. And then I committed those next two months to training. And I've just been growing and finding my passion. I love philanthropy. I love working with people. I wanted more time to volunteer with domestic violence organizations and an organization called Child Rescue Coalition, which I've been working more closely with and really took a step back to do that. So that's yeah. <laughs> We're definitely going to touch on a lot of what you just said right now, Um, but I just want to clarify that you had two months to prepare for a pageant, a pageant that most people, when they enter pageants like this, like their career pageantrists or whatever the word is, you know, these girls have been doing pageants since they were little girls and in high school and you did it out of college and and in two months, in two months. That is wild, Nishala. (laughs) And honestly, I had no idea what to expect. Like, I honestly also never wore swimsuits in front of people until like a year ago. So even modeling and all of that started in October. So it was all so fresh and new to me. And I was like, you know what? I've already been getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Why not just get on stage? And And it was crazy. It was really hectic to start training. But I mean, when there's a will, there's a way. And I ended up placing so yeah yeah tell everyone what you placed I placed fourth runner-up which was still such an amazing experience to get on stage and be part of the top five and get a final round question where I could really speak my mind and vocalize what I wanted for the younger generation that was my question and I felt like it was meant for me like yeah an answer (laughs) yeah no that is That's amazing. Like fourth runner up with no pageant experience and only two months of prep. Like I wish I could have been there because we talked about me being there to support you. And then tickets kept getting sold out every time like they would go on sale. So I was never able to get my ticket to go and, you know, support you in person. But I was following, I was watching everybody's Instagram stories, like all of our common followers who I knew were there. I was stalking everyone's stories. Like, okay, did Nishala go up yet? Did Nishala answer the questions yet? What is Nishala's placement? Because I was like, I felt like such a proud big sister to see you do that. And I think, yeah, you're, you're amazing. I think you also set a good example for other young girls, um, especially young girls of color, um, that if you really want it, it's, it's within your reach. You just got to go for it. And it was like, to touch on that, um, I was told after the pageant ended that I was the first Indian American to place top five. I was born in India, raised here, And to know that I got that placement in 2021 in the most diverse city in the United States, it feels surreal because I do want to show women of color. That is part of my message. I want to end colorism. I want to keep breaking those barriers because even getting into modeling, like I never felt good enough or I always felt uncomfortable being styled in different colors. And, you know, we see beauty standards constantly changing Mm -hmm. and that's what I reminded myself to get up there because I kept getting these little comments like how do you how does that make you feel as a minority and I just had to to push through those thoughts and those feelings I was like wow like how does it make me feel it makes me feel proud that I can stand up here and if I can make one girl look at me and say if she can do it I can too Mm -hmm. that's that's what I want like that that's it that's end goal like it is. No, I totally agree. That's the same thing with me, like in the mom world, you know, like when I see moms or teachers or people who share something similar with me, and then they see me pursuing my goals and my dreams. And they're like, well, if Teresa can do it, then I can do it too. You know? And I think that there's such a beauty in vulnerability and empowerment. And I want more women to be able to tap into that. And the only way that we can convince women to do that is leading by example. And I'm a big believer in leading by example. When I was in the classroom, out of the classroom, as a mom, as a woman, um, because I think that's the best way to lead by example. 
it is because you're showing people that, hey, this is me. I'm stepping forward. I'm using my voice and I'm shattering this glass ceiling and everyone's going to watch me. Mm-hmm. And I've realized that the only the only way I honestly think I got through Miss Houston was when I took a step back and I looked at my life for what it was and looking at the perspective because at that point in December I was recognized as the first South Asian Panhellenic Council president so I was president of not only my sorority but of all of them at the time and on the board and to be recognized as that at the second most diverse university in in the United States it's it's just hard to wrap your head around sometimes because you think that oh there's a lot of radical change happening there's a lot of diversity happening but that it's still happening. Like we just saw the first woman vice president get put into office, half black, half Indian American. Like it's amazing. Like there's so many changes that still need to happen and we have to lead by example because it, it's a cycle. It's, it's not a cycle. It's never ending. You're always up forward. Yeah. Well, lead by example and then also speaking out about the things that are important to us. You know, sometimes it's uncomfortable to talk about certain topics that are very personal to us, but if we don't speak out, then change is never going to happen. Yeah. Um, The other thing you mentioned is that you work with Child Rescue Coalition. Can you kind of give us a background on what that coalition is and what they do? So Child Rescue Coalition, PRC, uses technology to stop trafficking in children. So what they do is they have their own technology that they created and they distribute it to local police departments and rescue coalition teams throughout the United States. And they are a growing platform, but what they do is educate and empower the local communities to see the signs for trafficking or to be on the lookout for predators and also educates parents on how to protect their children. So there's a lot of things that I've learned through them where I like to repost on my social media because I want parents or single moms to know like, this is what's happening. You need to be aware. It's not in the movies. Like this is our reality, like living in Houston and Atlanta, which are the top two most trafficked cities in the United States. And to, to see it on, it's like, we don't see it. So that's the thing, right? I was, I just said, I just almost said like to see it, but, but we don't see it. And that's, that's why people don't think that it exists or it's real or it's an immediate threat, but it's happening. And they put people in jail every day. They, re- they catch predators almost every day. And it's crazy because it's on the internet. They're using the internet to exploit children. And in a world where we use so much digital media, how can we protect ourselves and our children? How can we be educated and aware? And that's the message that I, that Child Rescue Coalition uses with their technology and their methodologies. And it's something that hits really close to home because they want to end the exploitation and abuse of children. And they also want to rewire the way that we perceive words. For example, there's no such thing as child pornography. That's child sexual assault material. That's, there's no such thing as child pornography. You're exploiting a child. Like, how can we take those terms and change the phrasing in our society to make it like not to make it more dangerous but to make people see like it's not something to use lightly this is very serious there are children one in 14 being abused before they turn age of 18 it's a problem like and how can we solve it and how can we work together and that's why when I reached out to child rescue coalition it I wanted to honor them and represent them. I wanted to wear bread with my gown. I wanted to speak about them. I wanted to get my own little team together to build and work on blankets and bear hugs, create these boxes where when children are being rescued, we can give them something and give it to police departments to help these children. What can I do? It's like, that's always what I ask myself. What can I do if this hurts me and this is close to my heart? How can I be of service? So why, why did you choose to partner with them? Because you, you know, you could have picked a different coalition. You could have, you know, ending world hunger. You could have done clean water, pollution, all of these different things that you could have chosen. Why did you choose Child Rescue Coalition? 
the reason I cho- chose Child Rescue Coalition was because it started when I watched a video of Blake Lively talk about the growing epidemic of child assault in our society. And as I started to dig deeper, I found so many videos and stories of survivors that have came forward. And this is always something that has hit very close to home for a very long time because I, it was something that I I took personally and in my heart, like I knew it was something that one day I could gather the strength to talk about, which is why I talk about when I say become the best version of yourself, I talk about healing and healing those parts of yourself that are dark that you don't really want to talk about. And even from high school, like I started working with clubs for domestic violence and sexual assault because it was something that, that I went through when I was eight years old, something that I, I experienced when I was 14 years old. And it's something that only my closest friends really ever knew. And it's something that it it gets shut down or drowned out when you're, you're in the midst of life. Like I, I didn't overcome what I went through when I was eight years old and I still struggle with PTSD every day. And I struggle to figure out how can I, how can I talk about this? How can I talk about what I've been through when it's so fresh and so recent? Mm -hmm. And even like to say it out loud to you now, it's like, I have to, sometimes I remove the empathy from it or I try to detach myself from my own experience because it's really hard. Like I spent five years of my life victim on a sexual assault trial from 14 to 20. (laughs) That's like, that's two years ago. Like I'm figuring out how to find my own closure to build my own closure. And I felt like when I chose Child Rescue Coalition, it was like everything was starting to align. Mm -hmm. I kept asking my myself like what's my purpose what's my story how can I I, I'm tired of being silent how can I use my voice to empower these people because it's not only it's not it's not just about me it's like that's when it it gets down to how God created you through your experiences it's it's how can I use my experiences talk about the real painful stuff but first heal myself Mm -hmm. and then get talking about the real painful stuff and how can I, how can I find my voice? And when I f- came across an organization like that and I reached out and I only told them a little, a little part of my story and they were so supportive in my journey and are looking forward to working with me to give me a bigger platform to share my story. They're so patient with it because they know the courage it takes or how it, how much it takes and how emotionally draining it is to muster up that strength to be unafraid to use your voice to talk about something like that Mm -hmm. because that means I'm saying it out loud and I'm making it a reality not not just to my immediate friends that are watching me have PTSD every day or have panic attacks or struggle through my relationships but I'm putting it out there to show everyone like this is what I went through and it's hard because it's a silent battle for most of us that have been through that. It's a, it's a silent battle and it's a cruel world because <laughs> no one knows what you're going through and they still want to, want to hammer you in other directions. And when I chose child rescue coalition, I thought it would be my first step, the first step towards becoming the woman I really want to be I can keep working and I can talk to more victims and read stories and, how can I use their strengths to find my own? Yeah, and how- sounds, sounds like it's like it's just part of your healing and grieving process. Yeah, it, it is like a hundred percent. I felt proud to wear red, and I felt proud because I didn't say that before I went on. I said, "Yeah, I represent them," but only they knew, like the organization knew why I was wearing red. Only my close friends, I think I told you, like only my close friends knew why I was wearing red or doing what I was doing. And there's so many, there's so many reasons. It was like more than just a patent. It's like 
stepping out of my comfort zone, honoring an organization, grieving and healing in the process. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to pry too much about your experience. Um, but if you want to talk about it, or even if we want, you know, want to come back later on and tell us about that, you know, we'd be open to it. I think sharing your story is very powerful. Um, and if you're not ready to share that part yet, that's totally cool. Um, but I'm, I'm proud of you for that. And I'm glad that you found a um, group that is helping you heal while also helping you help heal others, you know? Yeah. You mentioned that this is a silent battle. And I do want to touch on that. And you don't have to go into specifics about your experience. Um, but I, you're Indian, I'm Mexican. Mental health is not something that um, some cultures want to talk about or explore. Um, I know that when I went to therapy, I didn't tell my family that I was going to therapy. I didn't tell them I was going to therapy until like a year and a half after the fact. And I was like, oh yeah, I've been going to therapy by the way. <laughs> yeah. And they were supportive of when I told them that at the time, but it's still like, there's a stigma to it. And especially with like our older, like the older generations that no, you're fine. Like, just suck it up. You'll be fine. Get over it. You know, did you have a similar experience? Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. There's in our cultures when I find that when things really get tough for older generations, they pretend that it's not it's not real. Like it's not happening. Mm -hmm. It's not a part of our society. Even when I came forward about my assault, they wanted to keep it in the family. And that's what happens. They say, oh, it happens. That's that's the reaction I got initially. Oh, it happens. And it doesn't just happen. Just like mental health, like, oh, like suicide, it, it happens. Who says that? It's 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 like our like our older generations found a way to suppress their emotions so much. And that's why they're living with all these damaging, hurtful thoughts and they have their own battles that they're fighting silently because they were never given the space. And that's when empathy comes into play. Like they were never given the space or the tools to help them manage their mental health. That's why in the Western cultures, when we're starting to talk about mental health, we're talking about the emotions that we have and have these platforms, which is why social media is such a double-edged sword. Like we can see though, like on these platforms, like, Oh, other people are talking about mental health. They're talking about the things that they're struggling with. And that's how we slowly break that stigma because in Indian society, like they, they don't believe in therapy or taking care of your mental health. I don't think that they ever learned how or were taught how, you know, and that's why I think that we're blessed to be raised here, to have access to tools and education that can help us empower ourselves or even give us the education to say, hey, you know, I, I need to go to therapy. And for me, it, back then, like, I was going to therapy because it was court mandated. Like, I had to go to therapy because I was, an, I was a child. Like, and, but now as an adult, it's a, a conscious decision that we make. And it's a conscious, conscious decision that we need to make for our society to be open and vulnerable about mental health so that it can be a conversation rather than a taboo, which is how I think our cultures view it. Like <laughs> I think that it's not real and it's something that's made up when in reality it, it affects all of your systems in your body and how from your physical health, like if your mental health isn't good, it correlates directly to your physical health, like a hundred percent. Yeah. And then it, and it trickles into your other relationships too, your relationships with your children, with your uh, significant other, with your parents, it affects every aspect of your life. And, um, you know, my, my parents did not get a proper education um, both of my parents grew up in like poverty in Mexico. Um, so like my dad, my dad didn't learn how to read until he came to the U.S. as an adult. Like that's, you know, that's just kind of to give you the background. My mom um, initially got married off 
um, when she was about, I think, 16. Um, she's obviously she didn't stay in that marriage, but like it was just, you know, there's these customs because people were not educated to know that there are other ways. Um, one of the biggest things that I have taken is disciplining children. Um, I grew up in a household where, you know, chancla culture was a thing, you know, like you do something bad, you get spanked, you get spanked with the, with the shoe, you get a belt or whatever. And I knew from when I was a young kid that when I grew up and I had my own kids, I was not going to discipline my children like that because those instances didn't really help me correct the, the, the bad or the wrong behavior. It just made me resent my mom, you know, and I didn't want to have that type of relationship with my own children when I became a mother. So I was like, no, I'm not going to discipline my children with physical punishment. I'm going to find alternatives to, you know, to discipline my son. I, I don't spank. I never spanked my son when he was little. Um, I and being in education. I also got to take a lot of like child psychology classes to kind of like learn how to, I don't want to say manage because I don't want to say I manage my child, but just, you know, how to have a better understanding and relationship of working with children, because I knew that however I shaped my child was going to go with him into adulthood and then it would affect his future children and all the future generations after me. And that's one of the things that fuels my fire whenever I do anything in this life, where I talk about mental health, when I talk about fitness, when I talk about um, generational trauma, it's I know that everything I say and do, I hope at least butterfly affects whatever's going on in the future. 100%. You want to make the world a better place for our future generations, whether it may be your kids or for me, my brothers, my little, my baby brother, that's too. Like, <laughs> I want to grow up in a world where I can show him, like, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. It, it's not meant to be that way. And we have to be the change. We have to be the ones talking about it. And I relate to you so much when you talk about your parents, because I was born in India. My mom had gotten married off super young, my grandma at 14, you know? they grow up in misogynistic societies as well. And coming over here, it's, it's all physical punishment. That's all they, they know how to do. And it's crazy because sometimes some of my family members, even when I'm a grown adult, try to exert that. And I, I have to look at them and say, do you really want to do this? Like right now I'm like, this is not culturally acceptable. Like it's, it's, they, and they, they think that because it's happened for so long because it's so ingrained. It's a societal thing. It's so ingrained in them that they don't know any better. And I always have to remind myself that, but that doesn't mean it's acceptable. It's what you accept. And that's why it's, it's important for us to talk about these things and talk about how physical exertion on your children is not okay when there's so many, especially now that we have tools and education and child psychology in play, you can find other ways. There yeah. are better and choice and to keep empowering people to make that choice and realize like you don't have to follow what society is telling you or showing you how it was over there like because then people find it like, oh my god you you were beaten or whatever and it's like yeah. yes like <laughs> well and then the thing also is like I hate it I don't hate it but it just it tugs at my heartstrings when people say, well, I, I was raised on a belt or I was raised on getting spanked and I turned out. Okay. That's it. Come like, on. Okay. Are you though? Are you one? Are, are you though? Are you really? Okay. Let's stop and think about this for a second. Are you really? Okay. And second, okay. Just because that's what happened to you. That doesn't mean that's the only way, you know? Okay. And it's like, <laughs> things like oh yeah it turned out okay but then it's like you're just like psychoanalyzing and you're like are you like are you <laughs> I think um there's some after effects and it is and it's sometimes people just don't want to accept that for themselves but I mean we're all like everyone that's gone through that is somewhat traumatized or and it's now like we can see like okay there are better ways and we can be the change mm -hmm. right but we had to undergo that firsthand mm -hmm. and when 
say things like that, that means you're accepting it. That means you're not wanting to change. That means are you going to do that to your children and be like, oh, well, I turned out okay. So, so are you. Let yeah, she'll be fine. Yeah. No, it's not true. Like, that's when resentment brews. Like, then you ask them, like, honestly, like, how's your relationship with your with your family? Yeah. Like, I laugh, but it's like, it's true. It's like, when that happens, like, that affects your relationship with another person because they're hurting you and not just on a mental level to where you need that mental grit to get over the fact that they're physically abusing you. But on the physical level, if it's leaving Mark or or whatever, and you don't want to raise your children on that, you want to create a family and a home of love and safety. Right. And that's, that's the key there. Like you want to have that family relationship built on love and trust um, and safety rather than a relationship based on control and violence and fear, you know? So yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I knew that, um, I wanted to bring that topic up with you just because I I wanted to show you like, this is like what I deal with. I know like I'm a proud Latina and I'm like, you know, I'm always out there posting like Latina stuff, but it's not something that only affects Latino culture. It affects a lot of different cultures. And with you being Indian, um, I knew that we, we could be, we should be able to talk about it and relate to each other, even though we are two completely different cultures. Exactly. And I'm glad that you brought it up because it is, it's very precedent in both of our cultures. Another thing that I have seen from your social media that you're passionate about is um, colorism, which is also something that I think is prevalent in both of our cultures. You know, like the lighter you are, the prettier you are, the darker you are, the quote, uglier you're considered. And that's a stigma that I think is also very important as we work to end racism, you know, um, being anti-racist, being speaking out about these things. Yeah. And it's, I'm glad that you brought it up because that it, it comes back to me modeling, like why I was so uncomfortable. Like I never thought I was good enough, but that's because colorism exists in our society. And it, it's not only just an Indian culture thing. You're right. It's an so many cultures everywhere but growing up I was always told not to go out into the sun I'm also like way darker than my other family members so then I'm get handed like a fair and lovely cream I don't know if you've ever heard of that cream I've Uh, heard about it from other Asian friends but I've never like actually used it so as a kid I would beg bag 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 I'd be like please mom I want some fair and lovely cream and it was easily accessible because I wanted to literally lighten my skin because they marketed it and they I'm I wonder if that that company is still alive because I know that there were so many petitions but like this company really was out here selling skin lightening cream and now it's like so we're like what that was real but I mean, everybody used it. They're like, I remember going to India and seeing signs everywhere. And it's like half the face of the person is dull and the other half is this white, fair skin. And that's how they marketed it because fair was lovely and beautiful. And if I even got the slightest tan because I wanted to go outside and play soccer, I would come back and I'd be like, wow, like, oh no, like I'm dark. Like I can't be in the sun. Like my friends, it's funny because like, now I, I just go in the sun. I'm like, whatever. But they would be like, why are you sitting in the shade right now while they're all standing at the pool? Yeah. They're like, why are you like sitting under this umbrella? Like, come on. And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't want to get a tan. Like I'm dark enough is what I'd say. And how, like even saying that out loud now, I'm like, how sad, like, that's so sad that I felt like I couldn't even go in the sun. And that even goes back to how beauty standards are changing. And that's what I love about our society and people like us, because it's very progressive and empowering. But back then, like I had exes make fun of my eyebrows, calling them too bushy. My lips, they're, oh, why are your lips so big? This color of my skin or say things like, you know, I don't like Indian women and their deep set eyes, but that's just how I am. Like yeah. how it's it's hard because culturally too like India women like because we have deeper set eyes like the dark circles are there and then like I I struggle because I'm like why why is this happening to me and then I use eye patches or like you find different things because you like 
want to get that fairness back, but it's, it's learning how to accept your skin, who you are for what it is. And when we talk about going back to like how I started to use social media for that, even I, I think one time I posted about it when I would be afraid to wear the color yellow. And it was crazy because this past year, all the stylists in spring were like, yeah, you look up in yellow. And I would just be like, no, I don't want to wear yellow. But that's because in my mind, since I grew up, I would avoid the color yellow because it would make my skin look darker. Even if now I see and I'm like, oh, this is a beautiful color. It's a beautiful color. And it's like that mental health, like that lens when you're finally like cleaning the lens and getting different perspective I'm like wow like this is a beautiful color like it's it's that ingrained like colorism is that ingrained to where it affects the color choices that women wear because they don't want their skin to look darker when when every color is beautiful for what it is like that's who we are we're humans we shouldn't have to put on skin lightening cream to make ourselves seem beautiful in society like you are beautiful for having this skin and learning how to embrace that. And now when I get styled in yellow, I'm like, yes, <laughs> like I will wear that yellow. <laughs> like, give me more. But that was uh like I still like I still find myself sometimes struggling like in pictures or or shadows or certain angles. I'm like, make sure. And I like stop myself and like make sure I don't look too dark. Like, what, what does that even mean? Like, yeah. What does that mean? you know, like, well, when you grow up with that mentality being, you know, ingrained into you, it's not something that you can just, you know, get rid of, you know, by snapping your fingers. It's, you have to make a very conscious decision to not think that way. You know, you mentioned your fair and lovely cream for me when I was a teenager, I was doing box dye to dye my hair blonde and I had blue colored, like blue colored lenses. Um, I traded in my glasses for blue lenses because I wanted to have blue eyes and blonde hair because I wanted to look like the rest of the girls at my school. And I, I, I didn't realize it at the time. Once I got older and I looked back on that, I was, that's when I realized what I was doing. You know, I was ashamed of my brown eyes. I was ashamed of my black hair. I wanted to look white because white is pretty. Like that was, that was my mentality, you know? And now I'm like, bro, my, I love my eyes. Anytime someone asks me what's like my favorite feature about myself, people think I'm going to say it's my butt, but no, it's not. It's my eyes. It's my brown eyes because they are me they represent my culture they represent my mom and my dad who made me and I am so freaking proud and no way in hell am I going to cover them up with um contact lenses now and I'm not judging anybody who chooses to do that you know I would totally do that like as a, a for fun thing um but the way that I was doing it back then was to suppress who I was it wasn't like a like a you know, like we, we wear makeup and when we wear makeup is because we want to enhance our features. We want to feel a certain way. And I think if you're, if you're wearing your, your contact lenses and dyeing hair, I still dye my hair, right? We're doing it is because we want to, because it's a, it's like a, because it's fun, you know, we're, it's, we're going for a certain style, but when you're doing it to suppress who you are, that's a whole different meaning. Yeah. And it's a whole different problem. Like it's, cause that's, that's when like, eastern standard like western standard of beauty i don't what would you call it nordic nordic beauty mm -hmm. that was the standard that's like why big butts weren't in like come on like those weren't in like a few years ago like oh my god like it was stick skinny super sharp nose thin no eyebrows like come on like thin lips and then that's when beauty standards change and that's why i'm not saying that those people aren't beautiful those people are still beautiful in their own way but now they don't fit the standard of beauty now. That's why when people compliment, it's so hard for us to probably accept a compliment, right? Do you feel mm -hmm. that way? Yes. Like one time I had a guy like compliment me and I was just like awkwardly like, hmm. He goes, do you not? He's like, I mean this in the most respectful way. Like, do you not know how to accept a compliment? Because you're really so beautiful. And I, I mean that. And I was like, and it hit me. I was like, wow, like, I don't know how to accept a compliment. Because for so long, I didn't 
think I was beautiful enough, but that's because we were constantly trying to figure out how we can suppress ourselves to make ourselves fit that standard to wear, whether it's wearing lighter foundation or wanting colored contacts. I went through that phase. I wish I had color eyes. I was like, I wish I had color eyes, but now it's more like, oh yeah, like I can step out. Like this is my new look. This is my alter ego. Right. Back then it's like, like I, why can't I be blonde? Why can't I be skinny? Why can't I have a flat ass? It's literally, (laughs) I'd be like, why? And now it's just funny because like, it's the polar opposite, right? Like, and you know, people hate on Kim K, but like, I like that woman, like in the sense that like, she made everyone, she, I feel like she changed the standard of beauty, like in her own way, even though she's Armenian, and even though like she does the whole plastic surgery thing now, but even in that, that little point of time, it was pivotal because you know what, for the longest time, she was Paris Hilton's secondhand person, right? Yeah. It wasn't the main standard. She was the second to the skinny Nordic blonde girl. Yeah. Like that's just reality. And like, people can say whatever they want, but like she broke through that barrier and was like, all right, well, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna build this empire and be this badass female entrepreneur and change the standard of beauty. She's the one that she's the reason why, like, co- like we know, like, it's through like <laughs> she changed it, like, because she's literally the staple example. And I know she's controversial, but it's women like that, or Priyanka Chopra is someone that I look up to. And seeing her, like, she, I relate to her because she didn't really people would hate on her in the Bollywood scene and in the Hollywood scene because she didn't really fit in both. And that's when the imposter syndrome comes into play. So like whenever we, we want to suppress ourselves, we have this imposter identity because we deep down back then, like you wanted to connect to Mm your, you wanted to connect to the things that make you who you are, but you also wanted to fit the standard and be seen and wanted everyone to think that you were beautiful. But in, a way that completely wasn't you. And with, with Priyanka Chopra, she completely embraced all her features, did whatever she want, came from Bollywood to Hollywood. She like is one of those people that's like embrace who you are, embrace your skin tone. Like we can get through this. And I mean, it's, this is a, this battle of colorism is in for the long haul. And yeah, we're talking about it more and people say like, well, what? I don't know. I hate when I hear people act like progression's over like we're already there oh no there's still so much more progress to be made and then you see women like Deepika Mayala she's um a South Asian entrepreneur I'll have to send you her her info but she create she wasn't ever she never fit the standard of beauty or like the beauty culture in America so she created her own brand Live Tinted that empowers these South Asian women like and she has a beauty stick that helps you with color correction for the dark circles under your eyes or how to embrace like she has this new line and it's called sun rays and she was talking about their under eye patches and talking about how I felt like I couldn't go into the sun because I'd get too dark and I was told like dark isn't beautiful and to hear women talk about it and she's the first like she just launched she launched this brand not too long ago and now is on the top 100 powerful women of the year list like love that there are still so many barriers to break so many conversations that need to be had but as women are stepping up and speaking about it and as we're speaking about it like talking about how yeah it's like uncomfortable sometimes like to say that like I wish I wish I was blonde I looked yeah. like I, I did all those things but to take a step back and say but I'm beautiful like our parents created us this is our heritage our culture like to really embrace that and be unafraid because back then like I don't know I would even get the terrorist jokes like the Indian jokes like people making fun of my name I would hate my name and be like why why can't I have a basic name like why why is now it's funny that you mentioned names because one of the things that I'm very passionate about in education so obviously like I do this whole social media content creator podcaster thing right but behind the camera I'm an educator and one of the things that I'm working really hard on at my school and my district that I teach at is bias, racial bias, um, especially. And um, 
one of the things that I talked about with my principal, it was like names, you know, we, especially when we have kids who come to this country, you know, they're called recent arrivals, quote, whatever you want to call them. These students who have different names, who speak a different language. Um, the first thing we want to do is change their name. You know, you can't pronounce their name. So you're going to tell them, oh, well, you're Mary now. Or like, oh, I can't say that name. So I'm just going to call you Joe. You know, like we're stripping these kids of one of their identity markers, which is their name, their name that their parents gave them, a name that probably or has an origin back to their heritage. And we're like, okay, you're in America now. So we're just going to change your name. That's that's fucked up. And I, I use that exact word. I told my principals like that's fucked up. And I was like, and we need to start being more aware of it. We need to start talking to our teachers about it. If our teacher can't pronounce a student's name, then that teacher needs to put in an effort in learning how to pronounce that student's name. You're not going to give them a nickname just because you can't say it to convenience yourself. And I know I'm getting fired up right now because that's how passionate I am about it. And I'm so glad you said that because as so my little brother, two years younger than me, in second grade, his teacher didn't know how to say Nicketh. It's not very hard. Nicketh. Like if you can say Art Evers or whatever or Louis Vuitton or whatever, <laughs> you can say Nicketh. Like I'm just like, I don't even know how to pronounce that word. But it's like you can say it. And he comes home and tells me that his whole class is calling him Kenny. They called him Kenny for a whole year. And I was like, why is your class calling that? And like, as a little kid, he's like, and he probably didn't think much of it. But in my heart, it burned because I knew exactly what you were talking about. And to be that aware at such a young age and realize like you're stripping someone else of their identity because you can't adapt. This is the new age. This is what diversity is. Diversity isn't just coming in and changing someone's name. And you know what? It's crazy. Because I, that same thing, that same thing I saw, what is it, two months ago at the Miss Houston pageant? I can't say her name, I guess, because out of respect. But I had this beautiful girl, beautiful girl. She went up on stage and she had a completely different, so she had her name on and it was like a very American name. Like we're talking backstage and and she's like, yeah, like, I like, I kind of wish I didn't put this. Like my name is really like, and she has like a Swedish name. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I just didn't put it because I, I, I thought it would be like too hard. And like, when I was younger, like I asked my parents to change my name because like everyone was making fun of me at school. And I looked at her and I was like, next time you get on that stage, you're using your real name. I was like, and we're going to go up there and we're going to tell them how to pronounce your name. And they're going to say it because you don't need to be ashamed of your, I was like, you have the most beautiful name. Like she had the, like when she said her real name, I was like, like my jaw dropped. I was like, and you chose this? You chose this very basic American name because you thought that this is what's like, no, like we are going to go up there and they're going to say your real name. And cause I know you could see it in her eyes. Like you could see it. Yeah. That, like long for it. And it was beautiful because the other girls that, that place with me that were here that heard this conversation they like heard me like go what they said the same thing to her and that's how it starts she felt empowered and she was like you're right mm-hmm. and I know when I see her I miss Texas <laughs> and I have her real name <laughs> and I'm gonna be I'm gonna sob probably because it's like wow like you're now 1920 and you still felt that way that's a problem like yeah. it's like because t- it starts with like the education system like because and it's so empowering to see you do that and stand up for it because you're using your voice for something that matters because it is a it is a matter of identity it like is. people should be able to learn how to pronounce their names if this is america and this is the most diverse country that it's land of the free whatever they want to say praise it so loud then we have to adapt we have to learn how to accept instead of strip people of their identity for our convenience because that's what it is. It's it's because of the, people don't want to be inconvenienced. And who are you to be inconvenienced by someone else's identity? Yeah. That, like people need to be humbled. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if they want to call someone else something different, that's when you turn to them and you give them a different name. How does that feel? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and then I just like, 
also want to clarify because I know I've gotten pretty like passionate and ranty this episode, but I'm I'm not perfect. I don't know everything. I don't want to say that I'm 100% right in everything or every single thought that I have because I know I'm not. These are just my opinions, my thoughts, my way to see the world and my awakening. You know, as I get older and I learn more about other people, then I become more aware of these things. And I feel like it's a responsibility to speak out about it to make other people aware. But I know I'm not perfect and I'm a work in progress myself, you know? And so if I ever say anything that could be racist, colorist, stripping some of their identity, then I, I want people to call me out on it. Please call me out on it so that I can correct my behavior so that I know because it's all about educating yourself and educating others. Exactly. And, and I agree with that statement because like we're all human at the end of the day. And sometimes you may say something or I may say something that comes across and you're like, oh, that was a little... But that's when you approach it with empathy and you approach it with an education that come from a place of love. If you really want to be that change, you have to find that place of love to where you can tell someone, hey, like that was a little wrong or that was hurtful. Or, Here are some tools that I want to give you to educate yourself on why, like give them the why, give them the reasoning. Because I had a lot of close friends, like, I mean, sometimes they say things and I'm like, oh, wow (laughs) like and I just have to remind myself like humble myself like I don't know everything but humble myself and say like well you know what this this can be like a learning moment this can be a teaching moment this is also one for me because it's very uncomfortable that I have to talk about this like even when it comes to like things like assault and like like even with the Deshaun Watson case like I got into a full argument with one of my friends like it comes this idea ideology comes in so many aspects but I'm going to use that case as an example because my friend was like, oh, well, he's such a nice, respectful guy. Like girls are only doing it because they want his money and they want to tear him. I'm like, wow. Like I have to educate this man (laughs) on how Ted Bundy was also a nice and charming guy. (laughs) Like, I mean, like, do you, and I just had to like approach it from, it was so hard because it was one of my best guy friends. I'm just approaching it from a place of love and be like, here's a list of like why it's not about the money and why this is a problem or like when someone says a colorist comment or a slightly racist comment or uses like a slur Mm -hmm. like and I hate when people make the excuse well I I grew up around that so I'm gonna I grew up around that it's like okay but are you gonna stay stuck in the 1980s or are we gonna cut up with the time right right no, like what are we gonna do here like you learn how to adapt and you learn how to like you know even move away from things like the r word like I got into yeah. a huge like a week this was like two weeks ago a huge argument on the r word and how we shouldn't be saying that like society is moving away from saying it because it's it's hurtful to people mm-hmm. and people are like well I grew up saying that all the time like you're just sensitive mm-hmm. No, no, it's wrong. It's wrong to use that word because you're using it as almost a derogatory term. No, it's wrong. Like, plain and simple. You should not be using that word. And I had two males within a span of like a week. Yeah. Because I said it's wrong and I educated them why. And they're like, well, you're just sensitive. And like, if you look at the definition, it's it's and then try to like justify it and that's like the worst okay part. but even if you look at the definition that is not the way that they intended to use it and that's the problem same thing whenever you say like oh that's gay you know it's the same thing you are meaning it in a derogatory way you don't mean it happy because if we look at the de- at the definition of gay in the dictionary it says it's happy or whatever that's not how you meant it exactly and and they justify it and that's when i like so what what would you do? Like, what would you do if you put a situation like that and someone's justifying it? Do you just walk away? Or like- I would, I would, I would pick, you have to fight your battles. Like if it's someone that you know is going to be receptive of the education, then I would, you know, I would have a conversation with them out of like with empathy and love and understanding like, Hey, like, let me, this is why it's wrong. 
Let me give you some examples, right? Find a way to connect it to, to maybe someone that you know and how that it would affect them, right? But if it's a person who just is not willing, who's not going to listen, who's going to try to overpower you, then you're just wasting your energy. And just, I would hope that more and more people would correct him or her over time to the point where at some point they're going to have to self-reflect, you know? And that's what, like, I thought, but then I, like, I mean... It's crazy the people you meet sometimes, right? Like, <laughs> I was like, well, my brother's special needs and he laughs about it. I'm just like, you know what? I'm letting this one go. Like, you are just going to be like, it's just like, it's too far gone. Like, it's not that it's too far gone. Like, I don't think anyone is. But I realized, like, I can't be the martyr for him. I can't be the holding the torch, guiding him. It's like, if people are open and receptive to learn and to a loving approach and education that well, you like- know think about it like as a as a tunnel right you don't have to like light the torch and lead the way you can probably light the torch at the beginning of the tunnel and then later on someone else is going to light another torch and then you know eventually fingers crossed they get the message yeah. <laughs> then eventually the tunnel gets set on fire <laughs> <laughs> yeah but-, but yeah we just got it we just got to be you know stay vocal and stay growing and stay learning because that's how we get better as as a society as a human race 100 percent oh this is so good (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's end on a on a a fun note um miss texas (laughs) so tell me about when when is that going when is that happening like what are you up to with that so Miss Texas is in, it's Labor Day weekend. Um, so it's in September, the end of September. And I actually start my training this next week. I'm going to be a little bit more prepared than I was. <laughs> um, practice doesn't make perfect, but it makes you better. Right. So I decided that I was going to be working more with the Miss Academy here in Houston and start to rediscipline myself because I also experienced a lot of burnout to where I like graduated. I was doing too many things at once and how I can take this as more of a journey and a more of a loving approach to it. So waking up in the mornings and like telling myself like, this is for me, like I want this. So I'm going to wake up and I'm going to train at 6am or in the morning after work. Cause I work full time and mm-hmm. To balance both and then to give up and sacrifice my weekends or sacrifice like alcohol and just you know distractions how I can become better this time around going into it because at the end of the day I'm doing it because I want to one honor my culture and my society I want to show women of color that I'm stepping on this stage I want to talk more about how I am the first Indian American to place top five how this is this is present day. Like it's hard for people to wrap their heads around it because they talk about diversity. Right. But why isn't my culture included? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to get up on that stage at Texas and just be proud of who I am. I'm short. I'm five, three. I'm a color Indian born. I'm I, but it's more than that. It's more than what's on the outside. It's through the adversity. I want to be able to start opening up and stepping outside of my own comfort zones constantly mm-hmm. and keep healing. So I'm going to be focused on that and that journey until September. And I'm, I'm excited and I'm grateful. I'm really grateful for the opportunity and to have the means to even do it is what I tell myself, because I honestly like couldn't have even afforded Miss Houston. I mean, I was fresh grad. Like my parents didn't even come to the pageant. Like they don't really understand, but I'm hoping that through my journey and through them seeing how hard I'm working towards it, that one day that they can see it for what it is. And I'm grateful that I had amazing sponsors like the Funny Collection and Heidi and you and just people to help empower me and like you know do some stocks and pay through it and I'm grateful that I can create that opportunity for myself and to push forward and go use that going into Miss Texas because I feel like what like you know when you do something 
for you, you can only go so far, but when you do something with others in mind, it, it just keeps that fire lit and burning. And even though I felt really burnt out, I just keep thinking about that and how, you know, I want to light that first little torch. It's a little, it's a little exhausting. Um, but when I think about it, it, it energizes me. Like having conversations like this energizes me. I'm like, all right, like I can do this. Like, let's go. Like, And yeah, so that's, yeah. I'm so excited for you. And, you know, I've, since the moment I met you, okay. So I remember the first time we met, we met, it was a Buff Bunny collection shoot. Well, you're freezing because we were outside. You remember? <laughs> how, how could I forget? Yeah, we were at Alpha Land and we were outside and we were going to shoot and it was so cold. And, um, but from the moment that like I met you, you just had this like aura of like, bubbly happy personality like the first time I went to a buff bunny shoot I was quiet I was just like very reserved I was just like observing everyone and everything I didn't want to like speak out of turn I was very very shy because again just like you I had no modeling experience I you know they were like hey a model I'm like oh okay but um yeah but then when I met you, and I know that wasn't your first time modeling. I know you had modeled before that, but you came in there and you were just like a ray of sunshine and you were like, let's take pictures. And you're over there singing and dancing. And I'm like, I freaking love this girl. I freaking love her. And then that's when we became friends. And so I've always been very supportive of you, of your, you know, like I I went to your birthday. I was so proud of you when you graduated. I'm so proud of you that you are doing the pageant and now you're doing Miss Texas and anything you need, you know, I'm right there. I'm part of your village and I want to see you grow and prosper. So anything you need, I'm here for you, girl. Thank you I love that and I just I'm so grateful for you because you even show up when I'm like hey I want to do this Pilates class like you've done Pilates you're like no I'm like okay well we're doing it <laughs> and I just love that you always show up for me and you mean it and you follow through and it's I just you have such a special place in my heart and I, and I just I see how much we keep growing together yeah I also I guess like on another positive note I kind of okay. know like five things you're grateful for today that I'm grateful for today yeah. like I want can, can we do that can we yeah no of course yeah for sure um one I am grateful for our friendship obviously like to have you on here honestly we just had a very powerful conversation and that would not have happened had I not met you you know so I'm, I'm very grateful for our friendship um I'm grateful for my voice I know I'm just one voice and I know I'm a small voice, but man, this voice is going to talk and this voice is going to say, and whoever's willing to listen, then I appreciate you. So I'm, I'm grateful for my voice. Um, I'm grateful for all the opportunities that have come my way. Um, you know, people always say that, that we're lucky and I don't see it that way. I see it as we work hard. And we find opportunities and we go for them. Um, and so I'm grateful for every opportunity that has come my way. Any, every door that I have opened, because it's not about luck. It's about hard work. Um, I'm grateful for my son and my family. You know, they have built me into the woman that I am today. Um, and then I'm just grateful to be alive. That's, yeah. I'm grateful to be on this planet. <laughs> What about you? You can't have me say five things I'm grateful for and you not tell me five things you're grateful for. Okay, okay. I am grateful for coming onto your podcast this morning mm-hmm. and starting the day with such a powerful conversation. As you said, I am grateful to have met you on this journey of healing and of breaking out of my shell. And I love that you said that when you first met me, I was so bubbly and happy. And I love that. I can talk about the hard stuff with you and I'm grateful that I honestly got to wake up in my home. I say that every day. I'm grateful that I get to wake up in a a nice home, a warm bed to have my dog to feel that love and comfort and support. I'm grateful for our health. I'm grateful that we choose 
to wake up every day and lead a healthy lifestyle, whether it may be physical or mental health. I'm grateful that we use our voices, that we have the opportunity to use our voices. And sometimes it may be small, but you never know the impact that you're having. We're creating a domino effect. And I'm just happy, like, not even happy. It makes me filled with joy that I, as I align with myself, I align with powerful women like you. And I'm grateful that we have the opportunity to continue to build, continue to build, continue to talk about what we're grateful for and create positive affirmations in our lives. Because you're right, like it is hard work. Like our hard work is a manifestation of what we choose to do every day. And it's a compound effect. And I just, it's, it's like overall, like, I'm just grateful to be here. Like, I don't, I don't, like, I'm just so happy. Like I could list off like 10, I write 10 every morning, but those resonate <laughs> with me right now. Yeah. Well, and you know, having that attitude of gratitude, I would say that I say that too, like having that attitude of gratitude that just like, it is such a, I don't, I don't even know how to put it into words. It's so powerful because if you're happy with what you have now, then the blessings just keep on coming and, and you just, you find joy, you know, it's, I don't know how to put it into words. And that's how like people try to manifest things. You can't manifest anything unless you're grateful for what you have now. It's like manifestation is found in your everyday. What do you have and what tools do I have in front of me so I can keep building and keep creating this dream life? It's like brick by brick. And it's even the people you surround yourself with. So like us having this conversation, like it's so energizing. I'm like, oh my God, like you just feel like you can change the world. And you know what? It's the people that are crazy enough to think that they can change the world that do. Mm-hmm. I love that quote. And it's like, we're, we're doing something. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and then one of the, my favorite quotes is we, not me, or we are stronger than me. Like me by myself, I can only do so much. You by yourself, you can only do so much. But when we team up, we're capable of so much more. And as our circle of powerful women who are speaking out and using our voices and our platforms to bring awareness, then the bigger our effect becomes, you know, we are stronger than me. So, yeah. (laughs) Well, um, tell everyone listening where they can find you, how they can follow you and support you. Okay. You guys can follow me on Instagram. That's my main source of social media. It's at underscore Nishala, N-I-S-H-C-H-A-L-A. And that's my TikTok too. I'm still trying (laughs) trying to get into the TikTok world, but I would appreciate it if you guys would follow me on Insta and you guys can follow my journey to Miss Texas. I haven't started posting about it yet, but we're building up to it. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. And I'll make sure that I put the link to Nishala's Instagram in the episode description. So thank you, Nishala. Thank you for having me. Bye.